Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Interview with a Trailblazer, hosts Tim Siegel and Lucky Nagarajan will be talking with leaders who forge their own paths within the Deep Foundations industry. Welcome to DFI's podcast, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Tim, and I'm here with my co-host, Lucky. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Tim. And welcome, DFI podcast listeners. This is our third episode in our series called Interview with a Trailblazer. In this episode, we will be discussing the personal and professional challenges that we all face moving through our careers. Given this, it can be helpful to hear the stories and wisdom from others who are having or have had similar experience and overcome those challenges. We call them trailblazers. Lucky today, we're going to discuss seasons within our engineering careers from entry level to senior principal. Each season has parts that are difficult and parts that are easier. Our two guests are in different seasons in their journey and will be sharing their wisdom. We will be talking about the joy of entering the industry after graduating, uncertainties of career path decisions, and especially as we move into parenthood, common stressors for professionals, and a way to balance family and to minimize the impact uh, as we transition from field to office. And then finally, marching toward our goals overall and much more. That is very true, Tim. One thing to note for our listeners is that the stories and discussions will be mainly based on individual experiences. While we may all go through each of the different phases in our career, we all have different and each unique phase for each of us. The experiences of our guests should not be considered as typical or generalizing of the phases or the seasons. Our trailblazers in this episode are Sarah Ram and Matt Glisson, whom we know as Super Matt. Sarah is a mother of two and is a designer, senior design engineer at Menard Group. Matt is DFI Director of Technical Activities and a father of two as well. They both will be taking us on a cruise into their career journey. Welcome, Sarah and Matt. Thank you, Lucky Tim. Happy to be here. Same. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to you both. Um, well, we'll jump right into it, but I'd like to start with Sarah. Sarah, I understand that you are a graduate of Carnegie Mellon. Are you originally from Western Pennsylvania? Yes, I am. Um, so I uh, was born and raised in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, um, an only child in a very working class family. I've I've never lived anywhere else. So, so what have influenced you to choose Carnegie Mellon? So um, a little more in my background, uh, neither of my parents graduated from college or university, but they always really valued education and did everything that they possibly could to set me up to earn a degree. Uh, they gave me lots of opportunities to excel, um, supporting me in extracurriculars and, you know, from everything from Rocket Club to Math League. Um, these days, STEM is really 
um, emphasized in school. My kindergartner takes STEM class once a week, uh, which is amazing to me, you know, but we didn't have that when I was growing up. I, I had never met an engineer before. I had like no exposure to the engineering field. And I certainly hadn't heard of geotechnical engineering. Um, honestly, I really liked physics and math. And someone mentioned to me my senior year of high school, engineers have lots of job opportunities and they get paid well. So that sold me, you know, money. And uh, so I, I checked out schools that had engineering programs being, you know, from a close knit family, not a huge risk taker. I only applied to schools within about a two hour radius of home. So Carnegie Mellon had a great reputation and I ultimately, mm -hmm. you know, chose it for those reasons. Well, okay. So why civil engineering then? Uh, what what yeah. led you to that? So, um, you know, my first year of college, I didn't, I didn't have a path. I didn't really have a, a goal besides getting a job. And so I got to try civil engineering, chemical engineering, mechanical, and I ended up choosing civil um, mainly for the department. Um, it was a relatively close-knit, small graduating class, about 30 people that I traveled through the program with for three, three and a half years. And, um, you know, just really supportive, really fun people, great professors, very approachable. And, you know, for me, that atmosphere um, is what sold me. Very nice. Okay, that's super. All right. Uh, and and here, here's the question. I'm going to ask you, both you and Matt this question. In retrospect, and I and think about this for a minute, but as a few words as possible, how would you describe your college experience? Transformative. Um, right. uh, you know, right? That's I mean, I think that's probably common for all of us, right? I mean, think about okay. where you're coming from and where you where you end up in those four or five, maybe sometimes six years. Um, I I hadn't had any construction experience uh, before going to college and starting my co-op uh, when I was at Marquette and, and um, you know going out in the field and being around construction equipment. Um, I mean, I guess you can count the the playing with the uh, Tonka trucks in the sandbox as a kid, maybe is my construction experience and, and then helping dad do some projects around the house, but nothing like the projects that I ended up working on. Um, in my co-op and then in, in the consulting career. So uh, I, yeah, definitely transformative. Um, I went in thinking I was gonna be an environmental engineer, um, right? Change the world, save the world kind of thing. Um, and then I had chemistry um, in college chemistry and I didn't get along nearly as well as I did with high school chemistry. Um, so, I, so I veered away from that one um, and, and went from there. So yeah. So your trend, you said, uh, transformative. Transformative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Sarah, right, how about you? Um, I would say lucky for a number of reasons. Um, yeah, like lucky. Um, so I, I met my spouse the okay. second week of classes who was also a civil engineering major. Um, so that, that was very lucky. And then also, um, I ended up receiving the DFI scholarship and um, that opened a lot of doors for me. Nice plug. We like that. that was <laughs> yeah. And, and I, didn't I, think... pay, I didn't have to pay her for that either. That's right. Oh, well. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Matt. That's good. 
that's a great journey, um, Sarah. It, it's so fascinating to see how you were introduced to geotech. You know, um, I, I should say, like, you know, coming from Indian background, in India, there are only two, it, it, this was like so many years ago, like, you know, there were only two professions. One is like engineering and the other one is medicine. When you think of engineering, it's not even nowhere close to civil engineering. It's it's only software engineering. You know, everyone thinks about computer. And, and I think I've shared this story so many times. Uh, the first first time I said that I was going to go into civil engineering program, my family was shocked. They were like, no, 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 you have to go back to computer software engineering. So it's it's really, I had no clue about geotech as well. I did not know geotech. I just knew, you know, there are different disciplines within civil engineering, but I had no clue that there was soils engineering or foundation engineering. So uh, that's something that common, I think we have. And, and again, yeah, transformative. Uh, I know you said you applied to the universities just right around your, uh, you know, where you were, where you lived and where you were born and lived. And uh, I remember the time I took like six months to convince my father that I'm going to leave the country and go to a different country to do my master's. Yeah. <laughs> So that was not fun, but it happened. Uh, it happened. So, um, and uh, thank you for sharing uh, for our listeners that you were uh, one of the DFI scholarship recipient. Um, so just briefly, if you can tell us uh, after winning the scholarship uh, of DFI, tell us a little bit more of the world of DFI that you have explored and uh, uh, what do you think? Certainly. Can I kick my cat out of the room break? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> Certainly. So, you know, I I owe my career and my, you know, job satisfaction to the DFI. Um, I don't know how many people can say that. I'm not, you know, trying to put in an extra plug, but it's it's I really owe, you know, the scholarship. So, you know, again, when I was an undergrad, I didn't have a plan. I didn't really have a concentration in civil engineering, you know, within civil. I tried to take as many electives as I could with a, a breadth of courses, including intro to geotechnical engineering. After completing that course my senior year, um, I was notified that I had received the award and mm -hmm. um, it replaced some of my, uh, you know, other scholarships like need-based aid that I had, you know, so it wasn't like a windfall of cash, right? It wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't about the money, but that recognition um, made it so that I actually met um, my employer. So Seth Perlman is an alum of the same school that I went to. And he was very active on the campus community, coming in for different events, um, you know, and there was a luncheon between students and alumni. And, you know, as a corporate sponsor of the DFI, he had heard that I received the award. And so he made a point to, you know, sit next to me at the luncheon and introduce himself and basically like <clears throat> offered me a job on the spot. So, um, of course. I, you know, I, I wasn't seeking out a, a job in ground improvement or the deep foundations industry, but, you know, it kind of just happened to me. And, you know, obviously um, there's a reason I've stayed, but, you know, again, I got my start thanks to that recognition. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I, this de definitely leads to the next question I had in mind. You know, you started with some internships in traffic engineering, right? And then now you are a senior design engineer at Menard. Tell, tell us, like, how does the, how did it happen and how has the role changed over time? Yeah, certainly. Um, so before I connected with um, this job opportunity, I, again, I wasn't focused on geotech. I had done some internships, whatever jobs I could find um, in traffic engineering um, happened to be, you know, the, the my summer experience. But um, from that, I gained, you know, exposure to different corporate cultures, small companies, big companies. And I um, learned that I prefer smaller companies where the employees have you know, a lot of opportunities for growth and, um, you know, exposure to different roles. And, you know, Menard checked all of those boxes, um, some I didn't even know I needed. Um, so when I started at my um, current position, my current employer, um, I was a, I was hired as a field slash design engineer. Um, I spent about half of my time in the field and half in the office. Um, on different job sites, you know, uh, checking quality control, um, running load testing. Um, while I was in the office, I did sales and estimating, um, started to learn design. And so um, all of that, you know, it was kind of beautiful chaos. Um, but I, I was in a phase of, um, you know, planting the seeds for my career. There was a fair bit of travel. Um, and my husband was in a position traveling as well. So, you know, it was, you know, hard to, you know, deal with that. You know, you you miss your family, but, you know, I, I, I was happy to just, you know, gobble up any kind of experience I could. Um, I didn't really set like boundaries, like professional, personal, you know, I was just mm -hmm. working like crazy and, um, Anyway, within about two years, my focus um, became design, and so I've I've grown in as a designer ever since. Good answer. All right, Matt, we're going to turn to you now a little bit. Um, you sure you're ready? Um, we're ready. Where are you from? <laughs> I grew up in Rochester, New York, and currently, and I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. So okay. yeah, a few stops along the way in between. All right. So where did you go to college? So we mentioned Marquette University before. Um, so that's in, in Milwaukee and uh, similar to Sarah, uh, I met my now wife very early on. I don't know if it was the second week, but it wasn't long after that, um, that, that we met. Um, <clears throat> and then we wound up having a bunch of classes together second semester freshman year. Um, and I, I joke that I, I spent the next few months dating her and then the next three years trying to convince her to marry me. Um, so yeah, so that that worked out that 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 was pretty good. Um, so yeah, started at Marquette. Um, she decided she wanted to become a doctor and, uh, I had the marriage proposal again, another joke that I have, but it's not totally far off of the truth either is that, um, the, the proposal when I agree to follow you, if you agree to marry me, um, and luckily for me, uh, she agreed. Um, so we went to Charlottesville, Virginia while she was doing med school at, at the university of Virginia. Um, and that's where I wound up selecting geotechnical engineering up until that point i was between structural and civil or structural and, and geotech i you know liked the geotech stuff in in school um like the foundation design and the you know the uncertainty of it a little bit um and so trying to find a position in in charlottesville uh not a big big town 
um, a lot of the job offers that I was was getting were in Richmond, um, but there was this one firm uh, by the name of Schnabel Engineering that was hiring a geotech in Charlottesville, um, and you know that went great with the interview, and they offered me a position, and I took it, and the rest, as they say, is history, and that as as that goes, Tim. So now you yeah. said you co-opt. Uh, did you co-op at Marquette? I did. Yeah, the co-op was with, at Marquette with a company called Ganther Construction out of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Um, yes, the home of Oshkosh Trucks um, and Oshkosh Bagosh Clothing. Um, okay. So, yeah, for the, for the kids, right? Um, so, yeah, so I was up there doing general contracting with them um, for most of my co-op. I did um, the very last term of my co-op. I actually worked at a nuclear power plant just outside of, of Rochester with the structural engineer there doing some some different structural design and, and things like that. So, yeah. And your one word to describe your college appearance was, uh, what did you say it was? Transformative? Is yeah, that right? Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, yep. lucky. I'm, I, I meant to ask you, we didn't get a chance. What, what's your one word to describe your college uh, experience? Or you don't have to be one word. It can be as few words as possible. I would say future dreams. Really? I, man, I like all this very positive energy. I got right, informative, I got lucky. Mine is long. <laughs> it's a long five yeah. years. And I, I, but it's true. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, if I can tell you what happened each of those years and going into it, I mean, that was a long time. But now a five, five years goes by like this. I, yeah. I, I yeah. I mean, well, at 20 years old, five years is a quarter of your life. I've got socks in my drawer that are have been there five years and I haven't worn them. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just 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 to give you a feel. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, Tim, like for us, like, you know, I was completely thrilled. You know, I was completely intrigued coming to this country, not knowing anything no, that, about that, I get it. I, that's you know? exciting. No, so I, it, it was nothing I had ever expected, you know, nothing I had ever dreamed about. So it's definitely future dreams, building your future dreams for me. Good for you, Lucky. I'm, I'm glad. That's, that's inspiring. Yes. So uh, we did talk about a little bit of your background, where you come from and what you do. So I want to dive right into some of the career challenges that we have had, right? So you both have been in the industry for a while and both are parents. Matt, you have two kids, ages mm -hmm. 16 and 12. Sarah, you have two kids as well. If I remember from our last conversation, you recently had a second baby. That must have been definitely a challenge. <laughs> You know, thinking about having one, uh, being a young uh, adult, progressing into having one child and having two kids and, you know, your career and your be becoming a parent is completely different, right? Like how you transform from one place to the other. So I want to ask both of you, what were the changes or are the changes uh, you saw and you see now right off the bat? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll start with that one, Sarah, and you can, you can chime in as we go, but, um, yes, yes, I, because I, his kids are older. <laughs> yeah. I started first. I gotta, I gotta work harder to remember that far back. No. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my wife, um, is a doctor. So at the time that we had our first kid, we waited a while, right. Um, med school residency, um, not very conducive to, uh, having a kid, um, for most, I don't know, you know, probably don't know this, but, 
um, during your residency, if you if you take more than two weeks off throughout your resident year, which runs August 1st to July 31st, you have to repeat the year, um, right? So not all that beneficial for trying to, you know, come out of giving birth and taking some time off to be with that kid and um, any other potential challenges that, that happen with, with childbirth. Um, so, you know, as much as we could, we tried to time it close to that transition date of the year that maybe we could get four weeks out of it. Naturally, we failed. Um, my daughter was born September 1st, so we, we didn't miss by much, but, you know, still, nonetheless, we missed. Um, so that was definitely a challenge um, and, and something that changed right off the bat is um, now you don't have your job as the top priority, right? Or even the, it's only shared between one other priority, right? Your spouse in, for the first kid, at least, the spouse and the job are probably the, you know, maybe not equal, but they're they're pretty close, right? There's just the two of them. You throw a kid into the mixture and now there's three priorities that you're having to, to juggle that most of us give fairly equal weight to. Um, and it's really not just you balancing for yourself. It's you coordinating and balancing with your spouse around the kid and, and the two careers and, and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, that was, that was definitely a conversation and, or, and change was, and I knew it going into, it, we'd already talked about the changes that we were going to be making, but, um, you know, I could not be out in the field past six o'clock. I had to be there to get the kid, except on the odd days that, um, that Colleen was done early or she was coming off of being on call, um, and at the hospital for 30 hours, right. Then she was going to be home, but, um, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I had to have that conversation with my employer. We had to have, the the staff in place that could cover those projects or could come out and relieve me if need be um so it was just a you know a lot of conversations a lot of a back and forth um and being upfront and open with everyone my spouse my employer we didn't have family we were in minneapolis we didn't have any family near us um you know it was her resident friends and, and some of my coworkers that um helped out a little bit from time to time but um yeah, it's a lot Matt, I want to I want to interject there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play the old man card again. I got yeah. a chance to play it once. All right. So when 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 we had kids, there was an unwritten expectation that the employee and the employer would not be inconvenienced. It was just unwritten, but it was like, okay, you had kids, but otherwise, I don't want to know. Um, you're still expected sure. to be at work sure. at eight and leave no earlier than five. <clears throat> and you were expected to be able to drop everything in a moment's notice if the client said something. You know what I mean? And in fact, I remember very well uh, my wife and I had plans. And this wasn't kid related, but we had plans to go on vacation. It was a Friday night and it was like 530 and the phone rang and we were supposed to leave. And uh the my boss comes in and says, "Hey, we just got a call. We need to do some analysis." And I'm looking. I look at the clock and I said, "Well, we're supposed to be leaving for vacation today." And he goes, "Oh, really?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "I said, do I need to stay?" And he goes, "Well, I'm not going to tell you what to do." <laughs> okay, I stayed. Yeah. Have, and I, I want to bring Sarah into this conversation too. How much have times changed from that to what you experienced? Tell me, tell me. I think, they've, cha I think they've changed a lot. 
and 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 Sarah's nodding, so that's cool. We agree. Um, you know, I think I was also very fortunate with the employer that I was with at that time. They very much had already adopted a pretty open schedule, right? There was no you got to be here at eight. And you got to be here. You know, if you're you got to be at your desk by eight, and you got to be at your desk at least until five. It was as long as the client's needs are net, work when you need to, work when you when you want. Um, as long as we are not hearing complaints from the client that they are not being serviced in the way that they want to be, that they will come back to us on their next pro next project. Cool. Yeah, to, uh, I guess to add add to that, um, what Matt said very well. Um, so there's like the bare minimum, right? So family comes first. If your kid is sick, some like we don't have a, a support net network of family here either. So um, if they're sick, like nobody else is there to take them. They can't go to daycare. They're not mm -hmm. going to survive. Like I don't, it's not even like a choice. Um, and the employer, you know, from my experience has been very um, flexible with that. Thankfully, I think a lot of that, you know, even colleagues after COVID and people getting used to working from home and flexible schedules, like I think it's built into the culture. Um, but I think like even beyond that, um, there's like, per, you know, mental health and personal like wellness and like satisfaction. I think if, you know, in, in my perspective, you know, I, I would have been bitter um, Tim, you know, if my boss said you're missing your vacation, you have to do this. Like I would have carried bitterness with me for a mm -hmm. year if I had to miss, you know, a, an important vacation with my spouse. And I think I would have been not a very good employee. Yeah, I would have done work, but I would have done so begrudgingly. And, and so, you know, I think, um, luckily, you know, at least in my recent experience, you know, there's been, I think, um, a feeling that we care about the person's like whole self and trying to um, accommodate employees in a way that, um, you know, we're it, it's it's a long term investment. And, and I'm really, really thankful. I, I think I work at a company where they see us, you know, as whole people and we work really hard. But, um, you know, the the expectation is that um, you know, we're letting someone know when we have those conflicts, you know, we are respecting each other's vacations. And I think for young, yeah. you know, the new generation, you know, even younger than myself, it's just a given in their eyes that they get to take their vacations. So the culture, it sounds like it's drastically changed. I think it has. And I think it comes back to the the point you brought about mental health, Sarah, and it um, there's been so much more research on productivity and the benefits of people being in a good mental state um, and the balance and the time away from work that that our perspectives and particularly employers' perspectives have changed that, you know, yes, my taking a week off and, and, and that being respected and that being allowed and encouraged and then coming back to work, I'm going to be more productive and I'm going to be a better employee mm -hmm. I'm going to be ha you know, happiness, employee uh, satisfaction and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think the research now is out there that in the documentation, the financial benefits of it have been proven again and again. And um, that's caused a significant shift culturally, at least in the U.S. 
No, that's that's very true. Uh, going back to you know everything that you, Sarah and Matthew shared, uh, the companies had to make a change, right? They had to make a change. Uh, Tim shared his story and where the mindset was at that time. And also like, as we are going into new generation, there is, you know, both the, uh, both the spouses have challenging jobs, have challenging uh, careers, and they have aspirations, right? With, with family, bringing family along. If the employer is not ready to make the change and adapt to what is changing within the industry and within the needs of the employees, then you can say uh, employees are not going to be uh, happy and employers are not going to be in business anymore, <laughs> you know, right. if you think about it. We expect to have it all, right? Like you have your career, you have your family and, you know, both, you know, maybe both partners are working in these like challenging careers. And I'm thankful that that's, you know, the culture because, um, you know, I'll share a little bit more about my experience, like with maternity leave and, and all of that. So, you know, like when I told my boss the first time, I was pregnant. I was so nervous. I was like sick to my stomach with anxiety. Um, I had just gotten my PE and, you know, obviously I, you know, I was excited about my career and I was like, what is this going to do? Like, how do, you know, how are we going to handle this upcoming maternity leave? And, um, you know, thankfully, you know, my employer already had a really generous maternity leave policy. I wasn't even aware of it. I hadn't thought to ask, but like, you know, three months full pay. Um, I took an extra two weeks after that um, of like vac paid vacation time. Um, and, you know, I felt nothing but like positivity and support. No one was, you know, like begrudgingly like, okay, well, you know, enjoy your, your time off. Like, eating bonbons on the couch like they all like you know were really <laughs> kind um so I, you know i feel you know very lucky with that when i came back um you know my baby was waking up three to four times a night i was breastfeeding i was exhausted i was like not i was in survival mode um i i really missed my baby i had some like postpartum anxiety it was just very like hard everything it was so hard and I you know I imagine other people have experienced something similar or different um so within a couple of weeks I was like I'm at my breaking point I don't know how I'm gonna do this I'm I'm not sleeping I'm exhausted um there was another female engineer that we had recently hired from consulting who had brought with her like when she negotiated her contract she was working four days a week she had three little kids. She had a newborn. And I thought like, that sounds pretty nice. Maybe I can negotiate something, you know, similar. So um, I asked if I could reduce my hours. I did like half day Fridays and I, you know, I got paid less too, but um, mm -hmm. I was able to be with my baby a little bit more, you know, because honestly, if you're, if you're, if you have an, an infant, a newborn, you work until five, you pick them up from daycare. You've got maybe an hour, an hour and a half with them every day. And, you know, when you and your partner are working full time, you're cooking, you're cleaning. Like, I was like, I can't live like this. This isn't enjoyable. I'm 
I don't feel like myself and that extra time with my baby, um, you know, I felt like I was more productive, you know, it, it was about getting my work done, not necessarily like my butt in the chair at the desk. Um, so, you know, that, that worked out and I went back to full-time, um, when she was about a year old. Uh, so, you know, my employer, um, you know, they said, let's try it. Let's see how it goes. And, um, you know, I did that with my second pregnancy as well. When I came back from maternity leave, slightly different schedule, but um, I reduced my hours as well. And in both instances, we had a like a check-in um, about three months in to the situation. And, you know, I said, what do you think? And both times, different managers said, you're doing fine. You're doing awesome. Like you don't need to change a thing. And so I think that, you know, it was a fair deal for both parties and, you know, it's, it was temporary. And so I think, um, having open, an open mind, you know, that, mm -hmm. that meant so much and it retained me. I don't know, you know, um, some, you know, you, you experience like so much, um, this roller coaster of, experiences as a new parent and you know to know this is we're going to work through this um this is temporary and you know the super sarah will be back shortly um you know i i think it, it worked out no cool. I, I think yeah that's that's outstanding i think there are a handful of companies that can afford to do this and there are companies that don't want to do this um, you hear more and more, uh, you talk to the female engineers that you have, and also the male engineers, because they have their spouses who are in the industry as well, and working towards fulfilling both the shoes, right? Filling both the shoots. Um, and recently, I was, uh, you know, I'm always on LinkedIn and stalking everyone. So recently, there was a post on LinkedIn from an international huge company. This is a big company having offices all around the world. They just started, I don't remember what the program is called as, but they started a program for people like who couldn't afford to continue working and taking care of the kids. Um, uh, you know, because they couldn't balance and they left the industry and now they are building this program to bring them back, uh, help them reconnect with the industry and grow in the industry. You know, uh, when I saw that program, I had not seen that any other company doing it, uh, you know, and that that was very, uh, you know, uh, really, I was happy to see that. Uh, if a company takes that step, that means that they actually value what engineers are bringing into the industry. You know, that was very happy to see. Well, um, we all know and are hearing that there's a shortage of of people in our industry. And I think employers are, are understanding that they've got to get creative. They've got to get flexible in order to staff in, in any way, shape or form of <clears throat> that they need to anywhere close to that. And um, Sarah, one of your comments made me think of you know, reflecting back on, on my experience. And we were incredibly fortunate that my wife didn't have any postpartum issues at all because she took her two weeks and she went back. I took two weeks. My mom came up and took a week and a half. My mother-in-law came up and took a week and a half and our kid was in daycare at you know eight weeks. Um, or nine weeks, I think is actually what we made it to, but whatever, right? It, it um, but I also thought about, you know, heading into that or heading into particularly later on when we went um, 
for the year for my wife to do her fellowship in Boston. Um, daycare in Boston was a, 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 two, a week of daycare in Boston was twice the cost of, of daycare in, in Minneapolis for us. So we said, yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, what are we going to do? Um, so I went part time and, and going into that, um, I was I'm very fortunate that my father worked in human resources at a corporate level for, you know, Boise Cascade, Bausch and Lomb and, and some other large firms. Um, and he said, Matt, everything is negotiable. And he's right, but it is and it isn't. I think you and I, Sarah, were incredibly fortunate to be working at two companies that understood that and were open to that. I don't think as, as Lucky brought up that every company is as open to that as, as our yeah. two companies were um, and that everything is negotiable and you know we'll figure it out in some way, shape or form, we'll make it happen. I think Tim, when we were talking about doing this before you brought up some experiences where that wasn't the case for you um you know it's you i mean you you i i think you hit a good point and i didn't even really think about it until you brought it up and that is that i that the market has changed i mean there's no doubt about it uh and that's a good thing i mean they uh, i when I graduated, we were in a recession and and there really wasn't an acknowledged shortage. Uh, in fact, I guess we were probably closer historically to the glut of engineering that occurred mm -hmm. in kind of the when NASA broke up in the mid 70s. There were a lot of engineers that were put on the street. And of course, yeah. I, you know, I was in school in the late 80s. So um, but you're right now, it's very difficult to get. Uh, uh, engineering candidates. I mean, I at any you know, age and or any at, experience at, level in any the any. It's very hard to do. It's a very competitive market. Um, I I would rather believe that. I would rather believe that it is all driven by employers realizing that that wasn't a very good way to treat their employees, but. That may be a, a naive way to look at it. A little bit, a little bit all too, uh, too much altruistic. altruistic. A little too altruistic. altruistic. No, it, but, um, but you know, Tim, I think uh, uh, that's a very, very fair point. And, you know, uh, when we see a lot of young engineers who are coming into the industry, I'm not even saying that it's civil engineering, but any other industry, like the things that other industries are offering for a younger generation is no match for what civil engineering industry or construction industry is offering. And, and we have seen that is probably one of the main reasons why we are not able to retain talent after like, you know, three well, to five what, years. Lucky, be more specific. You got to tell us. It, you said other careers yeah. are not offering what we're offering. Is that what? What are they offering that we aren't, or what are we offering that they don't get? Well, tell me which one it is. I be more. Yeah, specific. yeah. So if I if I can be specific, you know, software. If you think about software industry, software industry is like I'm not saying that they have figured it out, but they have streamlined what are the needs of the employees. If you think about like, because the employees spend a lot of time in the companies, right? So they are offering daycare services for the kids. So when parents come to the office, they take their kids with them and then they drop it off at the daycare services, which is part of the company. So that makes a huge difference. If your kid is sick, you get a call and you run down, downstairs or down the street and you pick up your kid, figure out what's going on, right? That's number one. 
Number two, mental health. We did talk about mental health, right? Like mental health push has been a little slower in construction industry, if you think about, and it is a lot, uh, uh, you know, has been little more momentum has been gained in the other industries, if you think software or if you think um, other industries. Uh, so for that, for mental health, they are having uh, yoga classes once a week. They have a gym in the offices where they can actually go and uh, uh, join the gym. But if you think about comparing that with uh, the engineering companies that we have, like in construction industry, I think there are certain companies that actually in New York City, I should say, um, I'm sure this is in California, big cities where a uh, company is paying you uh, to join the gym, you know, they pay part of the mm -hmm. gym membership, number yeah. one. Yeah. Number two, uh, you know, I just joined Geocomp uh, seven weeks ago. This is my eighth week, I think, or maybe this is seventh week. Um, they have a $300 uh, gift card that is given to you. If you go to the doctor, fill out, uh, you know, paperwork on your um or how your body is doing, how your mind is doing. And then if there are any uh, uh, differences or things that you have to work on, if you work on that in the next three months and go back to the doctor after three months and show improvement, you're supposed to, you have to fill that form and you get $300 gift card. You know, doing things like this, I think motivating people and making them feel, uh, you know, being healthy, mental health and physical health. And, and the kids that I said, is is outstanding if we can do something like that to see how employees can be brought in and see their needs how they are changing and help them support them to keep the change there's there's still a long ways to go you know i think especially with um field based positions um you know i i have examples of you know parents who i work with in the office and we have the you know these flexible arrangements we can work from home we can you know, pick, leave early to pick our kid up or something on a, on occasion. But, you know, I, I don't have good examples of um, field engineers, superintendents who are also making that work. So, you know, I think the challenge for retaining and attracting people into those roles um, is, is a very steep one. You know, I've, I've talked to women who are frustrated. They're in the field. They say, I don't know how I can have a baby, right? So they put yeah. off trying to have a baby or you know they're looking to leave the company because you know they they don't see a, they don't see a future you know raising a child living you know in a different state on this job site and um yeah yeah so I there's still I a long ways to go well yeah absolutely i think back to my career right i mean i was, I was actually fortunate that we for other reasons not me but you know with the, where my wife was that we had to put off having a kid until when we did. And that gave me the opportunity. I didn't have to worry about, you know, what time it was that I got home. She was always getting home after me anyway. Um, you know, right. If I came back to the office and no one had yet pulled the concrete cylinders from the tanks that needed to be broken that day. <laughs> all right, fine. I'm, I'm pulling them. I'm capping them. I'm waiting for them, you know, right. All that. So what doesn't matter. Nobody's at home or I'm not missing out on something at home. So that was, um, that was very fortunate, but I think, where I'm seeing some changes in the industry in that regard is we all, I think all of us would acknowledge and recognize just how important that field experience is. I know it was incredibly important for me, Tim, you and I have talked about it in the past as well. Um, 
so we've got to find another way to get people that field experience, especially in the you know situation like me, never been around construction before that, Sarah, you same thing, right? You've got to see it in order to understand it and be able to design it. Um, I'm seeing a lot more companies take advantage of co-ops in that regard in, in using the co-op experience as that field experience that then when they're done with school, they can be more in the office and not as much out in the field. Um, that doesn't totally take the place of the field engineer. There's still that need. So it's still a challenge, but some of that experience is getting replaced or supplemented, maybe not replaced, supplemented with the co-op program and going that route. But yeah, it's still a challenge. Well, we have focused mainly on kind of the really probably on the life side of the work-life balance. So I before you know, as we kind of get to the end of our podcast, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and let's start with Sarah. Uh, so Sarah, we've got folks out there that, you know, I don't know, wherever they're at in their career and they may have to make a change. You made a change from maybe a traffic engineering into geotech. Some people make a transition from technical to management. Some people make a transition from management to technical. Some people make a transition from field to technical or from design. I'm just, you get the feeling. Tell me, tell me in your changes, I, I'm at, how stressful was it? And maybe some wisdom you would share with our listeners on how to deal with that transition in their career. Um, yeah, Tim, uh, you know, I, I feel really passionately about um, communication. So I think, you know, as you are navigating in a change, be it personal, be it, you know, a role, a, a, a challenge. Um, I think talking, finding a mentor, talking to your manager about, you know, you know, your performance, what are your goals? Um, you know, luckily for me, I've had, you know, really great mentors, um, you know, lead uh, designers in my company to look up to. Um, now I'm, I'm transitioning into um, more of a, like a trainer. Um, I've accepted a new position. And, and so, you know, again, as we change through these roles, um, it's important to communicate, to get feedback. Um, and when it gets tough, just don't quit. Just, you know, keep going, um, one foot in front of the other. Uh, yeah. Very good. That was, that was a great answer, Sarah. Okay, Matt, you're up. So I'm going to build off of Sarah. I mean, it's right, hear it. communication is absolutely huge. Um, it, early, often open communication, um, in, in, in going into it with the, not from the mindset of what you can't do or what your employer can't do with any preconceived notion, go into it from the perspective of what can you do um, and ask that of your employer. Okay, what can we do, right? Your manager and, and the employer, what are what are the options? Um, and and it's not, don't, don't think of it as it's, it's this fixed option, it's this fixed option and it's this fixed option and maybe another one, right? It could be some combination of those three and four, and you've got to work together to figure that out and, and hash through it. But having the conversation or starting the conversation early, I know Sarah mentioned that she was so apprehensive about going in and talking about such a wonderful thing of, I'm pregnant, this is awesome. But, um, <laughs> and that's a horrible thing. And I'm sorry that you had that that anxiety. Um, but right, it's, it, it um, 
people are going to have that as much as you can and as much as I can encourage people not to, I, I know it's still going to happen. Um, but don't be, don't be afraid of it. Talk about it before you're even pregnant, you know, Hey, we're thinking about having kids, you know, or, or I, I'm thinking of, we're thinking about doing this in our life. We're thinking about adopting. We're thinking about whatever it is. It could even be not necessarily with your family. Like I'm thinking about my parents are getting old and I, at some point here, we're going to have to take care of them. And oh yeah, there's not just my parents, but there's my in-laws and they don't have any kids. So it's my wife and I, you're right. It's all, you know, there's, I got four or whatever it is. Start those conversations early. Um, you never know when you're going to need, need the, to know what the options are. Um, and, and once you've started to talk about them, um, it breaks down some barriers, especially if you're doing it early when there isn't a crunch of, we've got to figure this out now. We don't have, you know, we got two weeks. Um, you know, if you've been talking about it for a year and planning for it and prepping for it, then, then things are known. I think about, you know, my changes along the way of, you know, I was, I was working, I hooked down with Braun Intertech in Minneapolis, right? We knew we were going to be there for five years for her residency. Um, I never hid that. I, that was open with, with them, um, telling them all along, you know, I don't know where we're going to end up. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, year one fellowship wasn't even on the radar year three. It was on the radar. We were starting to apply, you know, I don't know where we're going to go. We're going to match into somewhere. I don't know if there's going to be a Braun office there or not. Um, so what are my options? Um, you know, my wife and I, as we were, were going into that, that final year of her residency, I said, look, to be fair to my employer and, and to my career, I got to know where we're going to be at the end of our one year fellowship. Are we going to be back in Minneapolis or are we going to be St. Louis was the other option? Which one are we going to do? We need to figure that out before we go, because it's going to have an impact. If we're coming back to Minneapolis, you know, Braun's probably going to keep me on and we'll make it work for that year that I'm in Boston. If we're going to be in St. Louis, you know, it's probably, hey, thanks, good five, you know, good five years and we're moving on. Shock of all shock to me when I went in and told them I'm going to be in Boston for a year and then I'm going to move to St. Louis. I was, okay, what do we got to do to make it work? Wow. So, you know, and I, I worked remotely for Braun for um, 12 years from St. Louis. Wow. We never had an office here. <laughs> wow. It was me, myself, and I. It was a great office, except when my, myself was acting odd. You know, that, that uh, those are all those are all wonderful lessons learned, so, right? Wonderful lessons learned, and I think this is a very good uh, uh, starting point for younger engineers and for some of the engineers uh, who are going through this right now. Uh, you know, at any point in our careers, I think it's it's good information to remind ourselves yeah. of. Um, yeah, no, definitely, you know, definitely. Our life work balance is always changing. There's always new things coming in. We're always getting into different. We talked about, you know, Tim brought up at the beginning that we're, you know, different phases of career, right? It's, yeah, it's yeah. We're always changing. Um, what I'd like to do now is just have a quick round robin and uh, let our guests and Lucky give our parting shots. Uh, Sarah, you're first up. All right. Thanks, Tim. Uh, something Matt said earlier to me about like aging parents, it really resonated. Um, and I think, you know, something I experienced last year, I lost my mom to Alzheimer's disease. When I had this newborn, it was really, you know, a hard place. And um, I was really grateful to understand that my company had a bereavement policy. I didn't even know what that was. But, you know, that was just another way that the company um, was able to support me, you know, as a as a whole person. Um, I was really grateful for that. Um, so I think, you know, just anything employers can do to embrace these changes that we go through, you know, we're not just employees, we're, we're people. And so like as human resources, 
Um, you know, I think anything companies can do to have a plan to take care of those resources um, goes such a long way. I've seen it in my own career. Um, I'm very grateful, you know, that that I've been supported through all of these changes. Sarah, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. Matt, what do you got for us in closing? So um, I think you know, I'm going to go back to the title of this program, Interview with a Trailblazer. Um, I certainly do not view myself as a trailblazer, but as I kept thinking about that um, overall and my uncomfortableness with it, yeah, we are each blazing our own trail through our career um, and through our life and balancing our family, whatever shape it takes um, with our career, whatever shape it takes in whatever part of the industry it's in. And we've got to recognize that and we don't always recognize that, but building on what, what Sarah said of, uh, you know, companies making their policies known, um, individuals need to ask too, right? The communication that we've talked about a few times, um, you know, bring it up. I would, you know, ask the questions that you need to ask of what point you're going through and, and how to navigate that. Ask your friends um, at your company, outside of your company, you know, ask your classmates, whatever it happens to be, whatever stage you're at in your career. Um, we all, we all grow up. We all, you know, a lot of us have kids, not all of us. Um, I'm going to say that we all have parents so that, you know, our parents get old and um, go through those different phases. Um, you know, we're going to have uh, friends that that get ill from cancer or or whatever it happens to be, and you know maybe it happens to your spouse or, or a close family member, and in dealing with that, um, talk to your friends about it, ask your employer about it, um, and and for those of us that are um, not just employees at a company, but but maybe leaders or managers within that company, um, as much as you can tell your employees what the the options are remind them even if it's not because somebody comes to you with a problem but you know in a in a staff meeting it, it you know july for whatever reason hey just want to go through our policies just to make sure you guys know and, and gals know what's out there that we have did you guys know we have reimbursement for gym membership or um you know our um our family medical leave uh policies or whatever else it happens to be the the health the mental health support that that you have um i know you know various points i've i've had employees that have needed to use those different things and um i was, I was always happy that i knew where to go to get the resource and put them in the right pl place to, to help themselves so um talk to each other communicate it's huge those are wonderful Thank you, Matt. those are wonderful points i would say um, uh, you know, um, thanks for sharing that, where, how you can use the internal company policies and talking to the leaders and mentors that you have. And the other one I want to add to that as a closing is, you know, there are plenty of women's groups. Uh, I want to bring it up because what Sarah just talked about, you know, having a second baby and during her first pregnancy as well, going on short uh, you know, not having 40 hours, but having 30 hours or 32 hours a week is something that you don't know. Can you ask? How do, how are you going to ask? So in the last few months, I've seen like three members of Women in the Foundations who came to me. I don't have kids. I never had to have that kind of conversation with my employer, but they came up to me and then asked me like, hey, what do you think about this? How do you think my career is going to affect uh, when I'm going to go and talk about this to my manager, you know, that's when I realized 
I knew Sarah that you had gone through that. So uh, it was easy brainer for me. And then I connected the person who asked me that question to Sarah to talk about. It. And uh, fortunately, they both are in Pittsburgh. So, you know, they could talk to each other and figure out like how this can be uh, used uh, for their benefit and also see how this can not have an inconvenience as Tim was talking about for the company as well. So these groups and also like the companies have been coming up with their own women's groups, right? And their own resource groups, not just women's groups. You know, um, Langen, for example, has many resource uh, centers, if you think about it. And GEI has it. And many companies have it in the industry now. So having those things and having people to within your company and outside your company, having those conversations makes a lot of difference for your future, career future and personal future as well. So thank you both for sharing everything that you shared today, which is some of it is definitely sensitive, but we are really thankful for our listeners to gain the wisdom from that and the path for future. Not sure I call it wisdom, but nonetheless, no. thanks for having us. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> thank you both. Take care. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Thank you for your time. Keep on surviving.